The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present the Diane Ray Show. Welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. I found a really fascinating person to talk to today, so I'm I'm very excited about this. Ever since I read John Krakauer's book, Into Thin Air, I've been fascinated by Mount Everest and the people who undertake climbing it. To date, at least 310 people have died trying to summit Everest, and that includes three people last year in 2022. And it seems like such a crazy undertaking, but people spend thousands of dollars and years of their lives trying to make this happen. And it seems like such an obsession. So I'm really curious to talk to my guest about this obsession. Lisa Thompson has proven that we can do hard things that she describes in her book, Finding Elevation. She started her mountain climbing adventures in 2009 when she summited Mount Rainier at the age of 37. And at that point, she knew that mountaineering would be a significant part of her life. And I guess the obsession really started then. And she details her adventures in her new book that's out right now that I'm spending some time with. And I encourage you to give it a read as well if you love adventure stories like I do, like Into Thin Air. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. And Lisa, thanks for joining me and talking about your experience today. Thank you, Diane. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, one of the first things I noticed in getting into the book and reading it, which I, I still have to finish, I, I can't wait to, to get to the end of it, is that you really give us a sense of, of place and kind of bring us into the experience of you know where you've been and, and climbing the mountains and you can you know, kind of feel the cold. And it just seems like uh, such an, an incredible adventure, an incredible experience. But you didn't really start out as the adventurous type. No. And what I what I read at the beginning of the book, and and even you know undertaking mountain climbing. I know 30, 37, like the ripe old age of thirty seven, <laughs> right? It yeah, would be, that would be something for the kids to start doing. But um, I think it would be great to to start to just tell people like a little bit of what. Um, you, you know, what really got the, got the bug going? What encouraged you to <laughs> do these drastic changes and drastic things in your life? Well, I wish I could tell you that, you know, I grew up like reading about people like Sir Edmund Hillary or studying the mountains or, you know, loved adventure from the time I was very small. I will say I loved nature and I loved the outdoors, but I really had no desire to test myself in the mountains or to even, I wasn't even curious what it was about. And honestly, I don't think I knew where Mount Everest was until I was probably in my thirties. So it was not something I grew up aspiring to do. Um, And then in my thirties, I took a job in Seattle. I moved from the Midwest where I grew up to Seattle, which is where I live today. And here in Seattle, climbing is a part of the culture. It's, you know, we're fortunate to have really beautiful mountain ranges that are very accessible to us. 
And when shortly after I moved here, my peers who at that point in my career were all men, I worked for a pretty conservative healthcare company, and they would regularly go climbing in the mountains near Seattle. And it wasn't that I wanted to learn about climbing. What I saw when they came back to the office on Monday morning and they had these stories about you know, being on a rope team and helping up each other up these icy peaks and monster storms that they had to work through together. And so I wanted them to see me as capable and I wanted them to include me in this group. I wanted to participate in that level of camaraderie because I thought it would translate into me being viewed as capable in the office. And, you know, again, I didn't know what a crampon was didn't really care. I just wanted them to include me. And so instead of doing, you know, what today seems like the obvious thing, which would be to raise my hand and say, that sounds really amazing. Can I come with you? I just got frustrated about it and I got mad and I just decided, well, I'm going to go climb my own mountains. And I had no idea, you know, a girl who grew up in the Midwest, I had no idea what that meant or what it would include. And certainly no idea where that would lead me. Um, but that, you know, that first bit of spite took me to Mount Rainier. And then, as you said, it was just, I sort of caught the bug at that point. And spite was a big part of why I climbed in the beginning. I would say until I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015, I had this really strong desire to prove people wrong. I was often the only woman on a climbing team and I saw the look in people's faces and and sometimes I fabricated it even that, you know, people thought I wasn't capable of doing it or it was cute. Um, I even remember, you know, as recently as 2016, after I summited Everest, someone wrote on my Facebook page, congratulations, because when I met you, I thought there's no way you could do that. <laughs> so I just felt this really strong desire to prove people wrong and to be, you know, as strong, as resilient as I could possibly be. And that's morphed, you know, today mountains, I think are my greatest teachers. Um, but in the beginning I was full of spite. So full of spite. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to climb this mountain for spite <laughs> and just prove you wrong. You know, I really think that this book landed in my lap at a very auspicious time because I'm trying to climb mountains of my own, like, of like many people are and, and people that, that you work with in speaking with and things like that. And I think we all have our own personal Everest and Denali's and, and mountains that we have to climb. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so I've gotten a lot of inspiration out of your story because I do think that we can do things that are difficult and, and things that, you know, where we just want to quit and throw in the towel and absolutely, you know, and you're proving it and you've proved it in the book as you detail uh, your adventures. So from the first mountain until up to um, the point where you had the breast cancer diagnosis, and I want to get into a little bit of that, how many um, mountains did you summit in that period? So that kind of started the obsession and then you just wanted more and more. I, want, I just wanted more and more. So I started climbing mountains local to Seattle and there's a lot of peaks that you know range between 9,000 feet and 14,000 feet. And they're various levels of difficulty. Some are technical, some are really just hiking. And so I started there and then, and I didn't, I knew I wanted to do more, but I had no idea where to go or, you know, where to start. And this was sort of before social media. And 
So someone said, oh, well, there's this thing you can climb the highest mountain on every continent. And I was like, great, I'll do that. Again, no idea. Probably could barely name what the continents were. But I just started there. I, st- I first went to Russia, which is the Mount Elbrus is there. And it's the highest peak in Europe and was successful in that. And then every year just picked a different mountain somewhere else in the world that tested me, you know, that taught me a little bit more about what it means to be on an expedition and what it means to, you know, eat properly and hydrate properly when you are climbing for multiple hours day after day and started to learn more about the technical aspects of climbing and being on a rope team. And I just every year picked a different mountain that would push me in some way and sort of stuck for a while with that seven summits track. And I'm fortunate to have just completed all of those peaks in 2021, um, 22 rather, but I very, in by the beginning, the middle of, by 2015, I decided that I wanted to sort of climb more interesting peaks. And I had, you know, set my sights on the Himalaya, which is, you mentioned into thin air. So um, that's, a you know, chronicles, a, a devastating situation on Mount Everest, which is in Nepal and the, the Himalayan mountain range bisects Asia and it includes most of the highest peaks in the world. Um, and when we say highest in climbing or in mountaineering, we're talking about peaks that are higher than 8,000 meters or 26,000 feet. And so I thought at the beginning of 2015 that I was ready to take on one of those. And so I made this decision to travel to Nepal to attempt a mountain called Manaslu. And shortly after that was when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Wow. But I mean, Everest was in sight, right? Isn't that like the, that's the gold ring. I mean, that's the thing that you want to do if you're into mountaineering, right? So it was not in my sight before I was diagnosed with cancer. I thought, oh, it's too commercial. You know, it's like becoming, it's overdone and there's more exciting peaks that we can climb. I sort of had this smug attitude about it. And then after I survived breast cancer, you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about, everything shifted for me. And I just thought, gosh, if, you know, life is so fragile. And if I'm really dedicated to living my life in a way that puts my passions first, then why wouldn't I want to climb Mount Everest? And so less than a year after that first Himalayan attempt of Mount of Montesalu, I decided that I would climb Mount Everest. And I left again for Nepal Um, just three weeks after breast reconstruction surgery. So, you know, my doctors were sort of like, well, (laughs) we're not really sure how this is going to go, but here's our cell phone number in case anything gets weird. So I just, you know, feel incredibly fortunate that things worked out um, and that things all fell into place as well as they did. Wow. And getting that diagnosis, I'm trying to imagine, I mean, I've, I've had not a similar diagnosis, but you know, when you have that fear, Oh yeah. I mean, 
can you equate that to like hanging over a crevice? I mean, <laughs> that feeling, you know, of, of uncertainty, the the fear of mortality, all those things that yeah. you had. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you experienced. All of those things. I think the difference um, with with a cancer diagnosis is that there's also a lot of waiting involved, a lot of, you know, time to sort of contemplate what if. And, you know, those tense situations on mountains, I think there's not time to do that. But there are so many, you know, even as I look back now, years later, there's so many parallels, I think, between mountaineering and fighting cancer. And people ask me often, what, you know, do you think that cancer gave you the strength to climb these big mountains? Or do you think that the resilience that you learned in the mountains is what helped you fight cancer? And for many years, I tried to pick that apart. I tried to like decide which came first and which influenced more, which influenced which one more. And I, I finally realized that they are so interwoven in my story that they really can't be separated that, you know, cancer came along at a time when I was just starting to really get serious about climbing big mountains and having the goal of this peak Montesluz on the horizon as I was diagnosed with cancer gave me huge motivation to get through cancer treatment. It was really the thing that not just me, but like my whole cancer team was like, we got to get her ready so she can climb this mountain in August. And so they've just been so interwoven since then that they, they're just a part of who I am today. And I'm grateful for each of them. And it, you know, when I was diagnosed, there was no way I could have said I'm grateful for cancer. But looking back today, I realized that it, like mountains has taught me so many things about what's important and about finding my voice and about never being afraid to be who I am and standing in that truth, no matter what. So they're just, I'm grateful for everything they've both given me. It really puts things in perspective. Oh yeah. Yes. Go through that kind of experience. And you had, um, you know, an, an extensive surgery, you, you had a double mastectomy and, mm-hmm. you know, that's certainly no small feat to get through and, and to heal from that. And then, so after that experience that you had Montesluz, Montes the other right. mountain in Nepal on, on the horizon. And I, I wanted to ask you though, about, I mean, there's, there's so much in your story of, of persevering and, and tackling and, and going against all odds, but what happens when you have to turn back when you have to accept that I can't do this right now. I think that's, that's an interesting thing to kind of look at as well, because you weren't able to do Montesluz at first. Right. Right. Yeah. I didn't summit that peak. And that was at first devastating um, because, you know, especially having just come off of fighting cancer and I just really personally needed that win. I sort of needed that to prove to myself that, my body and I were still working together and that I was still capable of accomplishing big things in the mountains. And so though I don't, you know, we, the team turned around because there was high avalanche risk above 24,000 feet. And I don't question that decision at all. It was absolutely the right one, but nevertheless, when you've, you know, worked hard to achieve a goal and, and you're unable to accomplish it, it stings, it hurts. And so it took me some time you know, when I finally came back to Seattle after being in Nepal to attempt Montesluz, and I realized that 
and this probably was the first time that I realized that mountains teach us things no matter what. Standing on the summit is such a small part of climbing a big mountain. And we have to be able to be aware of what's going on around us and what the mountain is teaching us all along the way to really get the most out of that experience. And it was then that I, it really solidified for me that life is short and that it's up to me to define the life that I will live. It's up to me to define what my boundaries are and that I learned that climbing Montesalu regardless I mean, even though I didn't stand on the summit, I still learn those things about myself. So many great lessons that people can take away from that, where you can flip what could be considered a failure. You know, I didn't do it, but, but to still make a triumph out of what you were able to accomplish. I think there's a lot of lessons in that. There's so, so many. And I, I was thinking recently about this word failure because to many people that would have been a failure. And there've been so many mountains I've attempted that I didn't stand on the top of. And people would call that a failure. And I just, I think in our vernacular, failure has a negative connotation. And I wish that wasn't the case because the reality is it's just more information that tells me that I need to work harder or I need to reorganize my priorities or shift what I think I'm capable of. And so- the word failure to me, just like you said, Diane, it's more about redirecting my attention and my efforts into something else or to doubling down on what I, you know, that initial goal. I I really try not to think of it as a negative thing. Right. And kind of tackling things in a different way. Yeah. Because yeah. the time that I've, you know, something that's been maybe perceived at the time as a failure, a lot of times it turns out to be, well, that actually worked out to be something good, you know, right. or that connected me with this person that yes. enabled yes. something else to happen. So initially, you know, I'm, I'm always interested to see how people handle, you know, what they would consider a fa- uh, quote failure. Yeah. So, so am I. Not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes we, you know, and I am so guilty of this. I want something so badly and I can't imagine any other scenario and I don't get it. And then a year later, I realized that, all these other incredible things happened as a result of me not getting that one initial thing that I thought I needed. And so I sort of love those moments when you look back and you're like, oh, so it all fell into place the way it was supposed to. Right. You get that hindsight is 20. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, it's good. So yes. I want you to, to take us to Everest because I am fascinated with Everest and I know it's a spiritual place for Mm-hmm. You know, many people, I mean, obviously the, you know, the people there that, that live there, I think that there's a name for Everest, right? Is it Pachamama? So there's a couple of different names. There's a Tibetan name and there's a Nepalese name. Chumalungma is, oh gosh, I believe is the Nepalese name. The Tibetan name escapes me at this moment, but those are the, sort of the, in the local language, those are the names that have been used for that mountain for eons. And there's a great respect, you know, um, um, among the people there, amongst the people there. Um, and I think there should be a great respect for people that attempt it, because really, even even the attempt of Everest, it takes what, like a year in planning, right? Thousands of dollars, yep. hours upon hours of training. Yep. Um, you, so it has to be something that you really want, right? Yes. You really want to do this. Yes. It is not for the faint of heart. Um, the whole process is not for the faint of heart. 
And, you know, today I'm fortunate I get to coach other mountaineers. And one of the things that I always ask them to think about, whether they're attempting Everest or they're attempting Rainier, is what does this mountain mean to you? Why is this summit attempt important to you? And to really be clear on what that is, um, because it is a huge commitment. It's a huge commitment financially. It's a huge commitment in terms of time. And not just for the mountaineer. I mean, for everyone around that person as well, who has to, you know, shift their priorities and make sacrifices to support training and to support preparation. And so it's really, it is an endeavor that I think should be taken very seriously and prepared for, you know, like it's the biggest mountain on earth. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I mean, when you coach people and, and you talk to them about, about that, I saw a uh, not too long ago, a piece, I think it was on real sports about these expeditions where they'll take people that if they have the money and they probably have no experience and no business yeah. being on a mountain like that, and they just pay the money and they do it. I mean, what do you think about those, those kinds of uh, situations? Yeah. I wish I could say that didn't happen, but it does, you know, and there are a lot of people who see Everest as a bucket list thing and that's absolutely fantastic. That's great. But I think that you have to understand what your, what that mountain is going to ask of you. And I believe you have to show respect to that mountain by showing up with that understanding and being as prepared as you possibly can. And because mountaineering, high altitude mountaineering has become more popular, right? There's movies about it now. It's much more mainstream than it used to be. It's attracted a lot of people. Um, and I get regular inquiries from people who have never climbed anything and want to climb Mount Everest. And I tell them that Everest is absolutely a worthy goal, but there are so many other mountains to climb on the way to get you prepared to that for that so that when you get to Everest, you have a great time and you can walk away feeling confident about what you accomplished there. So, you know, I, I don't love the trend, to be honest, because I, I'm a big believer in respecting mountains and understanding and showing up ready. Um, at the same time, though, I'm, you know, I like that there are more people becoming interested in this sport that I love and that's taught me so much. And did you summit Everest on the first attempt? I did. Yeah, it's pretty, that's pretty rare, isn't it? It doesn't pretty, happen all the time. Yeah, it's pretty rare. In fact, I summited all of the seven summits and K2 on my first attempt, which wow. is absolutely rare. So I, I got, and that's, you know, that's a lot of things going to that. Don't, don't read too much into what that says about my, my athletic ability, because it meant that I had to have a strong team. The weather had to be perfect. I had to be healthy. You know, the mountain had to cooperate all those things had to fall together um, just perfectly to allow that to happen. And, and there is I... an element of luck, right? Oh, for I mean, sure. If, if the weather turns on a dime, which it can, then your expedition is scrapped, right? Yes. Yeah. In fact, on K2, my team and I were um, high on the mountain. So we were at camp three at about 25,000 feet and we were on our summit attempt. So we were on our way. There was another team that was climbing a day ahead of us. And we were sharing tents with them because, you know, real estate is so sparse on that mountain and we had everything planned out. We were going to sort of move as a train up the mountain and all of a sudden the weather changed and, you know, we expected there to be a foot of fresh snow and there were five feet of fresh snow. 
as we climbed. And so we had to rethink everything. We had to, you know, hunker down for two days at high camp and decide as a team whether we had the resources and the time to continue summiting. And it was a very tense moment of the whole team sort of standing in the middle of the snow at camp three, um, debating what the right thing and the safe thing was to do. And ultimately we decided to continue, um, which could have been a very, you know, deadly decision, but fortunately things worked out. That team ahead of us was able to summit. We were able to move up and we made it to the summit and back safely. Wow. That must've been incredible. I mean, how humbling was it to go up that mountain? I mean, I read that you can see there are bodies there because you can't take a body off the mountain. Right. 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 And I mean, what's that feeling to go by someone that, you know, had just that same aspiration that you did, but they didn't make it. Yeah, it is a very tense and humbling moment. And, I, you know, there's a point or an area on Mount Everest where there are monuments to many of the climbers who have died there. And you're right, many of them are still on the mountain. Um, but this particular place on Everest has, you know, stone monuments for many of the famous people that have died on Everest. And I remember, you know, walking through there and I just wanted to be by myself. I didn't want, you know, I wanted to take it very, very seriously to respect those fellow climbers. And it was not lost on me at all that they didn't do anything different than what I'm doing. Many of them, right. They left home, said goodbye to their loved ones, were excited, worked hard, had the same aspirations and something just went wrong. And I think that as a high altitude mountaineer, you have to accept that that is a possible outcome of your endeavors. I think you're being disrespectful to the mountain to not be truthful about that being a possibility. And so I would always write a note just in case I didn't come back and leave it under my keyboard to my sister to tell her exactly what to do if I didn't make it back. And fortunately, she's never had to read that letter. But I think you have, as a mountaineer, you have to be honest about that being a, a possibility. It's something always in the back of your mind, I'm yeah. sure, because yeah. you're right. A lot of those people that didn't make it were very experienced climbers and yep. it was just some horrible twist of fate or bad weather or whatever that happened. And in, in mentioning your sister, I'm curious about what when this obsession takes hold, what it does to your relationships, because you said in the book that, you know, it came to a point where there was kind of a division of there were your mountaineering friends and then other friends and family, um, a marriage that didn't really survive the evolution mm -hmm. of you, you know, mm -hmm. going through this and attempting these mountains. I mean, for all the good that comes in building your character and everything, there are some things that, that might suffer, right? I mean, how sure. have you balance that or come, come to terms with that? Yeah, there, it's a very good question. And I think one that a lot of people don't consider, right. Is you, and I love that you said the word evolution, because that is sort of for me anyway, what was happening. Like I was figuring out more about myself and I was working to be truer and spend time with people who are more aligned with where I was in life. And there was some fallout and it was the toughest when I decided to climb K2 uh, in 2018. 
So K2, as you mentioned, is, you know, known as a very deadly peak. And depending on which numbers you look at, something like one in four people at that time didn't survive. And so my family that had spent, you know, their whole life in the Midwest where there are no mountains, um, wasn't, it was, it's funny because I could see this sort of shift in people's eyes when I was preparing to climb Everest, people were like cheering me on and super supportive and like, you know, wanted to know how the, the, the preparation was going and super happy for me. And then when I said, I'm going to climb this other mountain in Pakistan, it's the second highest mountain in the world. And they realized that it's known as the savage peak that tries to kill you this something shifted in their eyes and in their faces and they were no longer cheering me on. They were afraid for me. And I realized that comes from a place of love and concern. And so there had to be some tough conversations, um, you know, because I loved and deeply respected these people and I wanted and needed their support and I needed to be truthful about them to them about why this was so important to me. And I needed their love and support, even though they couldn't understand why it was so important to me. And so we got to that place, you know, especially with my sister and, you know, the other sort of challenge there was that my father had died a year before of lung cancer. And so she was fearful of losing, you know, one more family member doing something that it was frankly selfish, right? I didn't need to go climb K2. And so she and I had a lot of long, tearful talks. And, you know, today, and even then, she was incredibly proud of me and probably my biggest cheerleader. But we had to come to this sort of understanding about why it was important to me and what why it scared her too. But we got there. Right. But it did take some tense conversations and honest conversations. Absolutely, it did. to, To get to that point. Which is a good lesson in communication, I'm sure, mm-hmm. that, that you can take other places. Um, I'm curious, as as you've evolved in in your career and, and climbed, you know, climbed every mountain um, and beyond breast cancer, like how is your body, uh, you know, what's been the biggest challenge? Like, you know, you're getting older, right? I mean, <laughs> we don't want to talk uh- about that, but- <laughs> what concessions do you make or how do you kind of, do you try to forget that that's happening and just kind of keep (laughs) forging ahead? Like how do do you embrace that? I don't know if I'm quite at embracing yet, but I'm getting there. Um, I was just climbing in Nepal a couple of months ago. I was a part of an all women's expedition uh, that raised money for girls education in Nepal. And you know, I hadn't climbed a big mountain because of COVID since 2020 and sorry, 2018. And I was, you know, trained and prepared and ready. And I had a couple of rough days and I thought, Oh my God, is this getting, is this what it feels like? Like, am I just kind of like, okay, I need to slow down and maybe set my sights a little differently from now on. And so my first instinct was just to push through it, right? Just ignore it. I probably just didn't sleep well. I'm not hydrated. Um, but I think, you know, coming back and with the benefit of hindsight, I what I realize is it's inevitable, right? And we have to all be kind to ourselves and know that our bodies and minds and aspirations are going to continue to change and evolve. And so the cool thing for me and what sort of helped me through that was 
you know, now I have this company, Alpine Athletics, where I get to help other people, coach other people to climb big peaks. And it's incredibly gratifying to work with someone who maybe, you know, started out climbing Rainier for the first time and then climbed something gradually, you know, more and more challenging. And to see them grow and evolve as a mountaineer and to know that I played a role in that is just incredibly gratifying. Do you know who the oldest person is that uh, has summoned Everest? Everest. <laughs> I'm just curious. I feel like there are climbers in their 70s who have summited wow. Everest. Yeah. Check me on that. But I'm I'm pretty sure people in their 70s have summited, which is that's Ama- amazing. amazing. <laughs> yes. I need to get, you know, off my ass here. I feel totally inadequate after hearing that. But Me too. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just amazing that people are, are still doing that. So now that you are speaking and, you know, the book is out, I mean, what's, what's scarier, a crevice or talking to a room full of people? <laughs> Oh, wow. That's a great question. I think um, a scary situation on the mountain is still more scary for me because I really, I love these conversations with people. I love sharing my story. I love answering questions that people have. I like, you know, hearing about how I can help people overcome, like you said, your the mountains in your life. So I don't get scared about that anymore. But um, you know, there's been situations in the mountains even recently that make my heart skip a beat and, make, you know, get my attention. So I'll, I'll say mountains are scarier. Okay. Can you share <laughs> like the one, that one scary moment that maybe you thought, uh, you know, this is, yeah. or, <laughs> you know, yeah. what I do now. Yeah. There was, um, I think probably, you know, the moment that especially looking back where I realized that there was, you know, a lot of risk and high potential for making a mistake was as I was, as I was descending K2. So I was at about 26,000 feet um, in an area that's really, it's not super, super steep, but it is all ice. So hard, you know, blue ice in places And I know because I'm a total mountain nerd, I know that more people have died here than anywhere else on the mountain. And I sort of get to a flattish spot and I look over the edge of this ice and I see that there's another climber that's ascending on the rope that I am descending on. So on big mountains, you know, in order to make it safe, we attach what are called fixed lines to the mountain. And in this case, that rope is screwed into the mountain and then the climber attaches his or herself to that rope so that if there's a fall, hopefully those screws are anchored well enough and you won't fall off the mountain. And in that particular place on on K2, there's a rope that's meant for ascending and there's a rope that's meant for descending. So someone had gotten on, mistakenly gotten on the rope that was meant for me to to descend on. And I realize I, you know, scream and yell and try to get his attention. And he's actually just laying on the ice. He's not climbing or moving anymore. Um, And so I realized that, you know, I could stand here and wait for him to move. That's probably not going to happen. He's unresponsive to my screams. Or I can descend to him and try to move around him in the place on that mountain where more people have died than anywhere else. And so I think if you 
if I had been out of that situation and someone had said, Lisa, what do you want to do here? I would not have made the choice to descend um, because it was so incredibly risky. But I did rappel down to him, anchor myself into the ice, and then very delicately moved my gear around him and his gear. Um, I did talk to him and, you know, try to get him to move. So he, he was alive and he, he lived. Um, but it was one of those moments where I could make absolutely no mistakes. Like one, you know, forgetting to, to screw my carabiner in or one, you know, not paying attention to how I attached the ice screw to the slope would have ended very horribly. And so, you know, going back to experience, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't spent the past 10 years, you know, dedicating myself to learning the craft of climbing. And that's one of those things that you just don't pick up, by like climbing Mount Everest on your first attempt into the mountains. But it was certainly, you know, a moment that required all of my skill, all of my mental strength and just, you know, physical ability to get through that situation safely. Wow. That makes me nervous. Just even hearing about it. I, <laughs> I can only imagine. And when you're at the height of an airplane, right? I mean, yeah, um, like almost 30,000 feet is just, is just mind blowing. So I want people to read this book. There's so many great lessons in it and, and things that I'm still learning as, as I work my way through it. And people can find you at lisaclimbs.com. And on your website, there's a really cool movie. And I did try to watch it before we spoke. And you, you said that you can see it. It's a 3D experience. Just to tell us a little bit about that, because I want people to be able to get that experience. Yeah. So we, when we were on Mount Everest, we filmed our climb um, in virtual reality. And so for those of you that have a VR headset, you can watch it in, you know, in that, with that technology. I have, you know, been in a room full of people who watched it in VR and it makes <laughs> some people get a little woozy. So heads up that that can happen. But if you don't, you can watch it with your phone as well. And then it's 360 video. So you'll want to sort of tilt your phone and, you know, move around a little bit and you can get the experience of what it's like to be on Mount Everest, which is really, it was an incredible project that actually won our team an Emmy. So that was one of the things about climbing that I never thought I would ever be able to say. Um, but well, you're an Emmy winner. That's yeah. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not because of my acting ability, for sure. That's amazing. And and I hope people get a chance to see that. And you said you can see it on your phone, right? If yeah. You app. Yep. And it's called Capturing Everest. Um, and it was produced by Sports Illustrated. So you can also just Google it and find it that way. Well, I'm going to try it again this time on my phone because I really want to see that. And what are, what are your mountains? I'm sure everyone asks you, what's your next mountain to climb? I mean, yeah. you know, both um, like figuratively and I mean, literally, are there any new mountains coming up and what, you know, what are your plans? I mean, I know you're working and coaching with people at Alpine athletics and people can contact you through there. Mm -hmm. Like what, what could possibly be your next goal? I mean, <laughs> Everest, you know, what else is there? Uh, I have a problem with just accepting what the goal in front of me and always wanting to to push to the next one. So I mentioned that this past November, uh, me and another good climbing partner put together an all women's expedition in Nepal. And this was important to us because we wanted to really show what women can do in the mountains, not just as climbers, but we very intentionally created a whole team of women, which is pretty rare. I'm not sure that it's happened before. So all of our porters were women, all of our base camp crew were women, 
the guides were women. Um, and it was just, and we, we intentionally hired women who had had some hardship in their life. So perhaps their husband was sick and she had to then become the breadwinner for the family or they had children that had died or parents that had died, just really humbling and heartbreaking stories and things that these women had endured. And so we climbed together as a group of all women, the most supportive, non-ego climb I've ever been on. And then we raised money uh, for education for girls in Nepal who come from an area where they're often trafficked. And so that to me, somewhere in that intersection of climbing and coaching and supporting, especially women in these, you know, cultures and countries where I have gotten so much is where that's where my next focus will be. So I have an all women's climb um, of Mount Baker in the U.S. planned for this summer and an all women's climb um, of the volcanoes in Ecuador next year. And then also hoping to go back to Nepal to sort of repeat what we just did. So that's, that's where my passion is today. That's incredible. And you get to see so much of the world and, and really you didn't start traveling until like your late thirties, right? Right. Right. So yeah. you're, you're catching up. I mean, so I don't feel <laughs> bad then. I still have a lot to see and it's exciting to hear what you're doing. And it, it gives me so much inspiration to get out there and see the world. It's a big yes. beautiful world and, and there's a lot of, a lot of it to see Absolutely. and a lot of it that we need to protect and restore. And I love that you're giving back to a part of the world that means so much to you. Yeah. Thank it's you. Wonderful. And how can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out? Is uh, Alpine Athletics the best? Yeah. To- Alpine Athletics. Or you can go to lisaclimbs.com. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, which is Lisa Climbs. And, you know, I'd love to hear from readers and aspiring climbers or, you know, just people who are have climbed their own mountains in life. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Well, I'll let you know when I finish it. I'm I'm anxious to finish the rest of the book. Please do. And I I, I really love how it, it just brings you in there and you get that sense of place. It's Great. very cool. And thanks so much for spending some time with me today. And people listening out there, if you enjoy these conversations, definitely like, follow, subscribe, and all of that stuff wherever you get your podcast. And check out some of the other amazing podcasters on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. And thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Diane. This was really fun. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.